0: the murky waters of the Philadelphia harbor lapped up against the rusty hull, licking away at years of old chipping paint. Inside the vessel was eerie, decrepit, and hauntingly silent, looking as though no one had graced the ship's presence in half a century. She stood tall and strong in the harbor, despite looking rusty enough to sink at any moment. Despite her flaws, across the country were thousands who loved her enough to do anything to save her, and save a piece of American history. Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today, thanks to our lovely shipwrecker crew, we will be discussing the short-lived but amazing career of SS United States, as well as her tragic abandonment in Philadelphia, while she rots away as she awaits rescue. If you like stories about abandoned places, you'll love this one. Quick disclaimer for our younger audience before we dive in. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised for those under the age of 13. Please keep in mind that I'm not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I've done my research. Okay everyone, let's get into it. SS United States is an American ocean liner that was built for the United States Line by Newport News Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company. The United States Line was inspired by the service of the Cunarders RMS Queen Mary and RMS Queen Elizabeth as they transported thousands of soldiers home from World War II, and they wanted this success for themselves. If you didn't know, our Miss Queen Mary has the record for the largest amount of people transported at once, carrying a total of 16,683 people home from July 25th through the 30th of 1943, 15,740 of these people being troops returning home, and 943 of them being crew. Well, SS United States was conceived to be able to transport large numbers of soldiers, her construction being sponsored by the United States government for this purpose. She was designed by American naval architect and marine engineer William Francis Gibbs, who had also designed SS America for the United States line that had been used to transport troops in World War II. SS United States would be a joint effort between the United States lines and the United States Navy. For those of legal age to drink, take a sip every time I say the words United States. For those not of legal age and those who do not drink, do it with water to stay hydrated. As for that joint effort, the United States government underwrote almost 70% of the construction, which cost $79.4 million in 1949 when she was ordered, which would be a whopping $1,024,280,017 today. So in today's money, the U.S. government would pay $716,996,012 of that $1.02 billion. That's a large chunk of change to spend on an ocean liner. Back in 1949, SS United States' owners, the United States Line, contributed $28 million to the project. In exchange for the United States government paying for so much of the construction of the vessel, she would be designed to easily and quickly convert her to a troop ship or hospital ship should the need arise. Her capacity as a troop ship was set at 15,000 troops. If you're interested in hearing about other ships that were built to be easily converted, check out our episode on RMS Lusitania, and stay tuned for next May when we cover her in more detail for Lusitania Month. SS United States was ordered in 1949, like I stated earlier, and she'd be laid down on February 8th, 1950 in Newport News, Virginia, being designated Hole 488. Hull 488 would be constructed in a dry dock to exacting Navy specifications, and these specifications called for heavy compartmentalization of the ship with separate engine rooms to increase survivability of the vessel in an emergency. For our younger audiences, compartmentalization is the division of something into sections or categories. Essentially, she'd have a lot more walls than most of her contemporaries. A large part of the construction for SS United States was prefabricated, with the whole itself being comprised of 183,000 pieces. If you didn't know, aluminum was not as extensively used in shipbuilding back then as it is now. And so, SS United States and the construction of her superstructure was the most extensive use of aluminum in any construction project at the time. Though this wasn't purely a good thing. Aluminum construction poses a lot of challenges, like galvanic corrosion when joining the aluminum superstructure to the steel decks below. Galvanic corrosion is an electromechanical process in which one metal corrodes preferentially when it is in electrical contact with another, in the presence of an electrolyte. The advantage of using a light metal like aluminum is the amount of weight it saves. Okay, let's really take a deep dive into SS United States' specs. She was an enormous ocean liner, with her tonnage sitting right at fifty three thousand three hundred and thirty gross registered tons. She was designed to displace. 45,400 tons, but maxed out at 47,264 tons displaced. In imperial measurements, she was 990 feet in length overall, 940 feet in length at the waterline, had a maximum beam of 101.5 feet wide, a designed draft of 31 feet and 3 inches, a maximum draft of 32 feet and 4 inches, and a depth of 175 feet from the keel to the funnel. In metric measurements, that's an overall length of 302 meters, 287 meters in length at the water line, a maximum beam of 30.9 meters wide, a designed draft of 9.53 meters, a maximum draft of 9.86 meters, and a depth of 53 meters from the keel to the funnel. She spanned 12 decks and was capable of transporting 1,928 passengers with a crew of 900. She also had two stocky funnels that were designed to vent from her engine room and galley. Thank you to our listener, Michael Arnold, who actually inspected SS United States for this one. Cheers, friend. As for propulsion, she was quite impressive in that department. She had the most powerful steam turbines of any merchant marine vessel at the time, with these four Westinghouse double reduction geared steam turbines capable of producing a total power of 240,000 horsepower, or 180,000 kilowatts rated. Though in sea trials, she was able to hit 247,785 horsepower, or 184,773 kilowatts. This power turned four manganese bronze propellers that were 18 feet or 5.5 meters in diameter. What fed these turbines? Eight Babcock and Wilcox boilers that operated at 1000 psi, later reduced to 925 psi, and 975 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 524 degrees Celsius. All of this power meant she can move full astern at over 20 knots or 37 kilometers per hour and 23 miles per hour. Full astern is just like putting a ship in reverse. She could carry enough fuel and stores to steam non-stop for well over 10,000 nautical miles, which is 19,000 kilometers and 12,000 miles. She could do this at a cruising speed of 35 knots, or 65 kilometers per hour and 40 miles per hour, which is not slow by any means. Originally, the ship's power specifications were classified by the United States government, but in 1968, they would become declassified, and that's when the public learned that she had a top speed of 42 knots, which is 78 kilometers per hour and 48 miles per hour. This maximum speed was reached at a power output of 240,000 horsepower or 180,000 kilowatts, though she would never operate past 150,000 horsepower or 110,000 thousand kilowatts during passenger service. She was incredibly impressive in design, and this included her interior design, which was designed by those who did the interiors of SS America for the United States line, Dorothy Markwald and Anne Urquhart. These two women aimed to create a modern, fresh, contemporary look that emphasized simplicity over palatial, restrained elegance over glitz and glitter essentially, the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. The two designers even went as far as hiring a multitude of artists to produce American-themed artwork for the public spaces, and the interior decor even included a children's playroom designed by Edward Michelkoff, an American artist, illustrator, and designer known for his creation of a pair of mosaic map murals of New York City's five boroughs. As well as the design needing to be classy and sleek, it also had to be fireproof. Fire safety was huge for SS United States because of previous maritime disasters caused by fire and to keep in line with the U.S. Navy's fireproofing standards. Because of the fires on SS Morro Castle and SS Normandy, William Francis Gibbs specified that the ship had to have rigid fire safety standards. If you're interested in hearing about another fire prone vessel, check out our episode on MS Achille Laro, my personal favorite Shipwreck Sunday episode I've ever made. To reduce the risk of fire, SS United States would have no wood in the ship's framing, accessories, interior surfaces, or decorations. Though the galley did have a wooden butcher's block, that was the only exception. All of the fittings, even the fabrics, were custom-made glass, metal, and spun glass fiber, with asbestos-laden paneling being used extensively throughout the interior structures. Most of us just gasped at that, and for our younger audience members, I'll explain why. Asbestos was a building material that was extensively used before we realized the health hazards it causes, namely mesothelioma. Nowadays, asbestos must be removed from all buildings and has to be done by crews in hazmat suits to protect themselves. Even clothes hangers on SS United States were aluminum, and the ballroom's grand piano was originally going to be aluminum as well, but ended up being made of mahogany. It was only allowed on the ship after a demonstration in which gasoline was doused all over it and ignited, and the wood never caught fire. Now that we know all of her design features, let's get into the career of SS United States. But before we do that, if you're enjoying this video, let me know down in the comment section below. Don't forget to give this video a like and subscribe to our channel for more stories like this. If you're on an audio-only format like Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, make sure to subscribe for more episodes and leave us a 5-star review since it does help us reach more listeners like you. Okay, back to S.S. United States and her service history. S.S. United States was launched on July 23rd, 1951 being christened by Lucille Connolly at that time. She'd pass her sea trials, being given the IMO number 5373476 and the call sign KJEH. Her maiden voyage would take place from July 3rd to July 7th of 1952. And during this incredible maiden voyage, SS United States broke the eastbound transatlantic speed record, stealing the blue ribbon from Cunard's RMS Queen Mary. She broke this record by more than 10 hours, which is incredibly fast, and she made her crossing from the Ambrose Lightship at New York Harbor to Bishop Rock off Cornwall in just 3 days, 10 hours, and 40 minutes. To do this, she averaged a speed of 35.59 knots, or 65.91 kilometers per hour and 40.96 miles per hour. As she returned home to New York City, she would snatch up the Blue Ribbon for the westbound crossing from Queen Mary, averaging 34.51 knots or 63.91 kilometers per hour and 39.71 miles per hour, and making it to New York in just 3 days, 12 hours, and 12 minutes. In New York, her owners were given the Hales Trophy, which is the tangible expression of the Blue Ribbon. Interestingly enough, she still holds the Blue Ribbon to this day, being the last ship to covet the award, and she was the first American ship in 100 years to covet the Blue Ribbon, the last American ship having had it being S.S. Baltic of the American Collins Line in 1851. Her speed record is disputed since it was once a military secret, and the whole conspiracy stems from an alleged speed of 43 knots, or 80 kilometers per hour, and 49 miles per hour, which was leaked to reporters by engineers after the first speed trial. There are multiple sources that were wildly inaccurate about her speed, so it's always important to double-check your research when looking into her speed records. If you're interested in another, incredibly fast ship, check out our episode on S.S. Laurentic, a ship fast enough to race across the Atlantic and chase down a murderous duo. She was quite popular during the 1950s and early 1960s for transatlantic crossings, and frequently she attracted celebrity passengers like the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Judy Garland, Cary Grant, Marilyn Monroe, Duke Ellington, Salvador Dali, and Walt Disney, who would feature the ship in his 1962 movie Bon Voyage. Tragically, there was a celebrity death aboard the ship as well, and this was Claude Jones, a trombonist who played with Duke Ellington. He'd worked as part of the waitstaff and died on the ship in 1962. Rest in peace to him. If you've watched my video on the decline of ocean liners, then you'll know that the rise of jet-powered airliners began to kill the transatlantic shipping trade. If you haven't seen that episode, definitely check it out. SS America would be sold in 1964, RMS Queen Mary retired in 1967 and was sold to the city of Long Beach, California, and RMS Queen Elizabeth was retired in 1968. Sadly, SS United States was no longer profitable during this time, as were many transatlantic ocean liners, and unbeknownst to the public, passengers, or the crew of the vessel, her last voyage, and 400th at that, was completed on November 7th, 1969, as she arrived safely in New York City. In late 1969, before it was decided she was going to retire, it was announced that she'd make a final 55-day Grand Pacific cruise to set sail on January 21st, 1970. But alas, this would never happen, being canceled in December of 1969. She has a couple more major stops before she goes to Philadelphia, and we'll cover those now. After her final voyage, she would sail to Newport News, Virginia, for her regularly scheduled annual overhaul. While in Virginia, the United States Lines made the difficult decision to withdraw her from service, and they felt they had no choice due to the skyrocketing expenses of operating SS United States and the US government pulling out on their operating subsidies. After this announcement, the rehaul of the ship was swiftly halted, leaving several tasks incomplete, like repainting her funnels. Today, you can still faintly see the partially finished paint coating her funnels. She was sealed up with all of her crew uniforms, furniture, and fittings still in place, standing still in time. She'd be moved across the James River to the Norfolk International Terminal in Norfolk, Virginia, in June of 1970. And three years later, in 1973, her ownership was transferred from the United States Line to the United States Maritime Administration. After another three years, Norwegian Caribbean Cruise Line, or NCL, showed interest in buying the classic ocean liner and turning her into a Caribbean cruise ship. But this was thwarted because of her still-classified naval design elements. So, NCL would purchase the French ocean liner SS France from the Compagnie Générale Transatlantique instead. Finally, in 1977, the United States Navy declassified the ship's design features, and that same year, a group led by Harry Katz sought to purchase SS United States to take her to Atlantic City, New Jersey, and there her fate would be as a lively hotel and casino. However, this never came to fruition, and so she sat still. The U.S. Navy took interest in her briefly to possibly transform her into a troop ship or hospital ship, but instead they chose to go with two San Clemente-class supertankers. She was seen as useless by the Navy as of 1978, and so she was up for sale. Luckily, in 1980, she was purchased by a group headed by Seattle developer Richard H. Hadley for $5 million, and in 2023's cash, that would be a cost of due to inflation. Hadley wanted to reinvent the ocean liner as a timeshare cruise ship. To pay the debt owed to creditors, all of her fittings and furniture were sold in 1984, being auctioned off in Norfolk, Virginia. This breaks my heart because it was all of the original pieces of SS United States that were sealed in the ship in 1969. And just to think, 15 years later, everything was lost. The auction took a week from October 8th to the 14th of 1984 and roughly 3,000 bidders paid $1.65 million for furniture and fittings from S.S. United States. Luckily, some of her artwork and furniture was purchased from various museums, which included the Mariner's Museum of Newport News, though the largest collection was at the now-defunct Windmill Point Restaurant in Nags Head, North Carolina. The restaurant closed in 2007, and the furniture located here was donated to the Mariner's Museum and Christopher Newport University, both located in SS United States' hometown of Newport News, Virginia. She was once again relocated across Hampton Roads to CSX Coal Pier in Newport News on March 4, 1989. Sadly, Hadley's plan to have a timeshare style cruise ship failed financially, and SS United States would be seized by U.S. Marshals, and at this time, she would be put up for auction by the U.S. Maritime Administration on April 27, 1992. Julie Sadikoglu, of the Turkish shipping family, Edward Cantor and Fred Mayer's company Marmara Marine Inc. purchased SS United States at the auction for $2.6 million. After this purchase, she was towed to Turkey, leaving the United States on June 4th, 1992, and she reached the Sea of Marmara on July 9th. After this, she was towed to Ukraine to the Sevastopol shipyard. Here, she underwent asbestos removal that lasted from 1993 to 1994, and during this process, the interior of the ship was almost completely stripped down to the bulkheads, with her open lifeboats no longer meeting new SOLAS requirements if the ship were to sail once more, and so they were removed and scrapped along with their davits. That pains me. I love me a good davit, and to hear they just went to waste is a damn shame. Back home in the United States, no plans were able to be finalized for repurposing SS United States. And so in June of 1996, the former shell of an ocean liner was towed back across the Atlantic to where she is now, South Philadelphia. Alright folks, a quick note before we continue with the story. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, make sure to leave us a comment with your suggestions and you might hear your favorite ship here on the podcast. Check out our community tab to keep up with us and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Edward Cantor purchased SS United States in November of 1997 for $6 million. We have to give him credit though because he did something great for her. Two years after purchasing her, the SS United States Foundation and the United States Conservancy, then called the SS United States Preservation Society, Inc., succeeded in having the ship placed on the National Register of Historic Places. Hats off to this man because she is a beautiful piece of history and deserves to be recognized. Remember NCL? They reared their ugly heads again in 2003, this time successfully purchasing SS United States at auction from Cantor's estate after his passing. NCL intended to fully restore SS United States to her former glory and have her serve as part of their newly announced American flag-themed Hawaiian passenger service called NCL America. There's an interesting thing to note here, not just any ship was eligible to enter such service because of the Passenger Service Act of 1886, which requires any vessel engaged in domestic commerce must be built and flagged in the United States and operated by a predominantly American crew, but as the United States qualified, having been born and raised a full-blooded American. In late 2003, NCL began an extensive technical review of the vessel, after which they stated that she was in sound condition. Of course she was. These classic vessels were built to last. Look at our MS Queen Mary. Later in August 2004, NCL began feasibility studies regarding refurbishment of S.S. United States, and later in May of 2006, they announced that she would be coming back as the fourth ship for NCL after the refurbishment was completed. Don't get your hopes up, folks. She's not leaving Philly. When NCL America first began operating in Hawaii, they actually used the ship's Pride of Aloha Pride of Hawaii and Pride of America, not SS United States. Later, they'd withdraw Pride of Aloha and Pride of Hawaii from the Hawaiian service, and in February 2009, it was announced that SS United States would soon be up for sale once more. This time, she was in danger of facing the scrapyard. Facing destruction, the SS United States Conservancy was born in 2009 to save her by raising funds to purchase her. On July thirtieth, two 2009, a Philadelphia media entrepreneur and philanthropist named H.F. Lenfest pledged a matching grant of $300,000 to help the Conservancy, and unlike Amber Heard, he actually paid his pledge. Another noteworthy supporter was former US President Bill Clinton, who also has endorsed efforts to save SS United States since he sailed on her himself in 1968 and thus had a special connection to the ship. She's not out of the woods yet, kids. This is where it gets hairy. Later in March of 2010, reports leaked that bids for the ship to be sold to the scrapyard were accepted by NCL. According to a press release made by the company, the large costs of upkeeping SS United States were around $800,000 a year, and that the conservancy was unable to tender an offer for the ship, so the company was looking for a suitable buyer. By May 7, 2010, desperately over $50,000 were raised by the conservancy. Later in November of 2010, the Conservancy announced plans to develop a multi-purpose waterfront complex with hotels, restaurants, and a casino along the Delaware River in South Philly at the proposed location of the then-stalled Foxwoods Casino Project. Sound familiar? Check out our episode on the fate of RMS Queen Mary, who also had the potential to have a waterfront complex surrounding her, but faces uncertainty to this day. At the end of November in 2010, studies of the site were revealed in advance of Pennsylvania's December 10, 2010 deadline for a deal pointed at Harrah's Entertainment to take over the casino project. However, this fell through as the Conservancy's deal collapsed, and on December 16, 2010, the Gaming Control Board revoked the casino's license. Again, SS United States was in free fall, in danger of falling into the laps of eager scrappers. Fear not, dear listeners, the Conservancy did eventually purchase SS United States from NCL in February 2011 for $3 million, according to reports, with the help of money donated by philanthropist H.F. Lenfest, They assumed ownership of her on February 1, 2011, with whispers going around in March of that year about the group possibly wanting to move the ship to New York City, Miami, or keep her in Philadelphia. There were negotiations to have her become part of Vision 2020, a waterfront redevelopment plan in New York City that would cost $3.3 billion. In Miami, Ocean Group wanted S.S. United States on a slip on the north side of American Airlines Arena, now called Kaseya Center. An additional $5.8 million was donated by HF Ledfest, and so the Conservancy was bought another 18 months from March 2011 to make her a public attraction. Months later, on August 5th of that year, the Conservancy announced that after conducting two studies focused on placing the ship in Philadelphia, that she was not likely to work there for a variety of reasons. We don't know what these reasons are, but we do know that after several discussions to place the ship at her home port of New York as a stationary attraction still seemed viable and in the works at the time. However, she had to be refitted in Philly. On February 7, 2012, preliminary work had begun on the restoration of SS United States to prepare her for her rebuild and new home, though curiously enough, a contract had never been signed. In April of 2012, a RFQ, or Request for Qualifications, was released at the start of what would be a relentless search for a developer. A RFP, or Request for Proposals, was issued just a month later in May, and in July of 2012, the Conservancy launched a new online campaign named Save the United States. They cleverly blended micro-fundraising and social networking to allow donors to sponsor square inches of a virtual ship for redevelopment, which would allow them to upload photos and stories of their experience with SS United States. The Conservancy announced that donors to the virtual ship would be featured in an interactive wall of honors aboard the future SS United States Museum. The plan was simple. She was a developer by the end of 2012. The developer would then put the ship in a selected city by the summer of 2013, which would more than likely be New York City. In November 2013, she'd have a below-deck makeover that lasted into 2014 to make the ship more appealing to developers as a dockside attraction. However, as this was all to be moving and it was failing to, the Conservancy was warned that if their plans were not quickly realized, they may have no choice but to sell the ship for scrap. In January 2014, obsolete scraps of the ship were sold to keep up with the $80,000 a month maintenance costs, and just enough money was raised to keep her going for another six months after that, and they hoped someone would scoop her up, to no avail. In August 2014, SS United States still sat in Philadelphia, and her rent was about $60,000 a month. Crazy enough, it was estimated that if SS United States were to be restored to hit the seas again, it would cost $1 billion. Though a 2016 estimate for restoration as a luxury cruise ship was said to be as much as $700 million. So the cost would range between those things, I suppose. $1 billion for a transatlantic ocean liner and $700 million for a swank cruise ship, I'm guessing? Time gets critical again here. On September 4th, 2014, they really pushed for her to be moved to New York City by a new developer and taken care of there, because if not, they would have to make the difficult decision of whether or not to scrap her in just a few weeks. A stroke of luck came their way on December 15, 2014, when preliminary agreements in support of the redevelopment of the ship were announced, and these included providing for three months of carrying costs with a timeline and more details to be released in 2015. In February 2015, another $250,000 was sent into the Conservancy by an anonymous donor that went towards planning an onboard museum. In October 2015, the Conservancy explored potential bids for scrapping the ship as they were running out of money to cover the $60,000 per month cost to deck and maintain the ship. They continued trying to repurpose her and find ways she could be utilized, including ideas for hotels, restaurants, and even offices aboard the ocean liner. The Conservancy stated that if they didn't make any progress by Halloween, October 31, 2015, they'd have no choice but to sell the United States to a responsible recycler, which is a nice way of saying the scrapyard. The deadline passed and it was announced that $100,000 had been raised in October 2015, keeping SS United States from immediate danger. And by November 23, 2015, another $600,000 had been donated for care and upkeep, and this would give the Conservancy time to find a new strategy. Crystal Cruises announced on February 4, 2016, that it had signed a purchase option for SS United States, and that would include them covering docking costs in Philly for nine months while they conducted a feasibility study on the ship with the intent of returning her to life as a cruise ship based in New York City. On April 9, 2016, it was announced that 600 artifacts taken from the vessel would be returned to her by many donors, including the Mariner's Museum. Unfortunately, my friends, like everything so far in SS United States' story, it fell through. Crystal Cruises would pull out of the deal, stating there were too many commercial or technical challenges with the project. The cruise line then made a donation of $350,000 to keep her in Philly until the end of the year, which is a nice touch. The Conservancy would continue to receive donations, and in January of 2018, they made an appeal to then-United States President Donald Trump to take action regarding America's flagship. Alright, let's just take a second to breathe. I know I just mentioned a former president that some love and some don't love, but let's keep politics out of our comment section and just talk about us as United States, okay? We are here for the love of ships, and to keep our comment section as open and inv- inviting as possible. Alright, let's continue back into SS United States' history. The Conservancy has stated that if they run out of money now, they plan on sinking the ship as an artificial reef instead of sending her to the scrapyard. On one hand, it's so sad to think of that vessel sinking, and on the other, it would be nice to have her at least still as United States, even if she was on the sea bottom. You'll have to let me know what you guys think. On September 20th, 2018, the Conservancy consulted with the company that had converted the former ocean liner and cruise ship SS Rotterdam into a hotel in mixed-use development, Damon Ship Repair and Conversion, about redevelopment of SS United States. On December 10, 2018, the Conservancy shifted focus once again, this time announcing an agreement with the commercial real estate firm RXR Realty of New York City. They were going to explore options for redevelopment and restoration of the once great ocean liner. And RXR had even expressed interest in the ship back in 2015 when they were thinking of restoring her as a hotel and event venue at Pier 57 in New York. The Conservancy requires that any redevelopment plan preserve the ship's profile and exterior design, and include approximately 25,000 square feet or 2,323 square meters for an onboard museum, which I greatly appreciate. It shows that they value the ship for who she is, and they don't want to see that wasted and RxR's Neck of the Woods, their press release indicated that multiple locations would be considered depending upon the viability of the restoration plans. Later in March 2020, RxR Realty announced its plan to repurpose SS United States as a permanently moored hotel and cultural space, requesting expressions of interest from a number of major U.S. waterfront cities, including Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Seattle, Miami, San Diego, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. This episode couldn't be possible without our lovely patrons. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to support the channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com slash shipwrecksunday to join. That brings us up to 2021, when a dispute would take place over Pure 82's daily rent, increasing from $850 per day to $1,700 per day, as well as $160,000 in unpaid back rent that could cause the eviction of United States. But, for now, she remains in Pure 82, and it's still unclear what her future will be. I'm hoping for the best, but seeing what's going on with RMS Queen Mary down in Long Beach makes me worried. I hope the ship stays around for a while. She's a gorgeous part of American history and deserves to be restored to her former glory. Now you're up to date on SS United States. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. Stay tuned next week for the story of Armenia, a Soviet hospital ship that was sunk by Nazi aircraft and resulted in a massive loss of life.